this would actually be the big advantage to in-person podcasting, but obviously a bit more, a bit more hassle. I I've had um, Robert Riedloff on my plane back home from Riga and like he had at least six or seven, you know, suitcases and like camera gear and stuff with him. I was like, shit. Yeah, he's got a this yeah, if you do this for a living, that's a lot of stuff you need to bring with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a production and probably editing and things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Looks good on my end. All set, let's do it. Okay. Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Stories, everybody. Today we've got Leon with us. Hello, Leon. How are you today? I'm good, guys. Thank you for the invite. Thank you for coming on. No, it's our pleasure. I was um, just looking at your Twitter handle, and it's got real estate, philosophy, and ethics. So I'm really excited about this one, uh, particularly about the whole uh, real estate aspect of it all. Um, so I think, Leon, if it's all right with you, let's go straight into the question, and that is, what's your rabbit hole story, and how did you discover Bitcoin? Sure, sure. So um, it started with philosophy. Um, I was studying philosophy and ethics in, in the UK, actually. And during my degree, I got introduced to Bitcoin through a friend of mine, basically, who was using Bitcoin back in the day. There were certain websites you could use Bitcoin to pay for goods on the Internet. And he was doing that. And then he was telling me about Bitcoin. And I uh, looked at the website he was using and then I got intrigued um, that there is an, a native currency in the internet now because I, I kind of thought that's something that's missing on the internet anyway. I was always very interested in payments and, and finance and the internet had no native currency. So now when I learned about Bitcoin, it just naturally made click. I didn't even question what Bitcoin was. It was three years after I did my master's in financial economics and I decided to write my master thesis about Bitcoin. And I looked uh, particularly in the developing world and Bitcoin's potential to enable these people to participate in the global economy and also the remittance market. Because, you know, in some countries, up to 30% of the GDP is generated from people that live somewhere outside of the country and I need to send the money back. And Bitcoin, obviously, um, allows them to do it on much cheaper. So that was in 2015. And then I stumbled into the Bitcoin rabbit hole, mainly looking at it from the perspective of the, like the Austrian perspective, Austrian economics, uh, methodological individualism. What does it mean? What's the difference between uh, methodological individualism, uh, socialism, capitalism, and all these different systems? And then I read about uh, Mises and Menger and Rothbard, you know, different, different people from the Austrian school. And I uh, learned about, um, Bitcoin through the Austrian school. And then in 2015, once I left uh, university, I went into um, the real estate world. And uh, we built a real estate company. It's a development company. It's a family-owned business, uh, very traditional. We buy property, uh, we secure financing, and then we develop real estate. And then in 2020, so a few years after, once Michael Saylor publicly announced the way that he utilizes traditional business strategies to accumulate Bitcoin, I started thinking, you know, we should do something similar. And um, Bitcoin is something that works complementary to real estate development because the problem with real estate development is it's so debt intense, right? And also construction costs are tied to inflation. And as inflation shoots up, 
Bitcoin allows to funnel the cash flow, for example, from rental income into Bitcoin to then be able to have more purchasing power to maintain properties and also to construct. So bringing Bitcoin into the real estate business, into the balance sheet, allows us to create a healthy balance sheet because in real estate, you have the balance sheet and on the liability side, you have the debt. And the debt is increasing with increasing interest rates. So right now, if you're in real estate, you're facing larger costs because the interest rates have gone up and those are the costs of the business. And on the asset side, you have the cash flow income producing real estate. And that drops in value when interest rates go down, because when interest rates go down, there's less money being introduced to the economy. And if there's less money being introduced to the economy, people also invest less money into real estate because real estate is the number one inflation hedge. Once money comes into the economy, it usually comes into the economy through loans. And a lot of these loans are invested into real estate. So as a real estate company, we are faced with a problem. Our profit margins are getting lower and the, and the interest rates are going up. So once we bring Bitcoin into our balance sheet, we'll be able to withstand the inflationary pressures of the fiat system. So as a company, we can stay competitive. We can use Bitcoin to build maintenance reserves. We can build credit worthiness over time because in 10 years time, I believe a real estate company that holds Bitcoin, any company that holds Bitcoin on the balance sheet will be seen as more credit worthy by any bank. We can already see it that the banks that we're working with they see us as more credit worthy than other companies because they know we incorporate Bitcoin into our balance sheet. So it's already starting. Yeah. That is, that, that is my story. Nice. So, because that clears a couple of questions on my end, because I always look at real estate from two different angles. I think one angle, which is the one you're in, you know, commercially, really from an investment perspective, and the other angle, which I think is a lie that's being sold to many individuals where they have to, um, you know, you, you just get your mortgage and like you get your home and like, you know, you're, you're now a homeowner and like congratulations. And although the bank owns like 75 to 95 percent of your stuff, um, I think there's a, it's quite important to make that distinction. Right. Um, so your case is having Bitcoin on those balance sheets and potentially also lending those Bitcoins to get either more real estate or different opportunities is the way to go um, instead of, you know, the traditional, you know, let's put down 20% of your own capital, like let's get the mortgage and all of that stuff going. Because um, that was always one thing when I seen your content, I was like, I know what he's saying, but like for normal people, real estate kind of is a scam, especially mm -hmm. if they live above their needs, right? If they, if they if they don't have Bitcoin, if they just live in the fiat world. Um, but okay, that clears a couple of things up for me, which I had before the interview, which I hope we can get into um, later in the episode. The financialization of housing, using housing as a speculative investment vehicle, that is the housing crisis. And by functioning as an actual store of value, Bitcoin will drain the monetary premium that real estate has accumulated over decades of an inflationary monetary regime. Plus the deflation will cause housing prices to drop over time. So under a Bitcoin standard, housing will eventually collapse to its utility value, making housing affordable again as it should be. I mean, overall, a Bitcoin standard will raise the general standard of living because deflation causes prices to drop and people can use Bitcoin to save and build wealth. And they don't need to invest, for example, as you mentioned, in real estate to offset monetary inflation. So 
using real estate as an inflation hedge is one of the worst things that the fiat system has caused because it drives the standard of living enormously. But what we do, we provide a service. So we provide housing. We are basically a company that provides a service to our customers, which is housing. And they pay us rent as to compensate for that. We don't invest in real estate to, I don't know, what family office do to place our money somewhere. We develop real estate. So you're not in the um, mortgage-backed security game, which you know was a big driver in the 08 crisis, or potentially like the earlier crises as well, depending how you look at stuff. Um, you're really in it to say, housing is actually a need we need as human beings. Like mm -hmm. you need a roof over your head. And we develop investment strategies surrounding the, the, the actual building and stuff taking place of that thing. And that's where Bitcoin really has a huge potential. Um, quick question there. Do you think if... If people were aware of the um, opportunities you have with Bitcoin in 08, 09, do you think that mortgage crisis would still happen? Because, you know, greed is still in like the fiat system, right? So like some guys will still want to sell those securities. Or do you think under Bitcoin back then we would already have maybe less damage than, than what we've seen? Because I mean, some of these houses went like, I know friends who bought a house for like 50% off on the market price just because the crisis happened. Do you think Bitcoin would have solved that immediately? Yeah, I think that overall on a Bitcoin standard, once houses are not used as savings accounts, but they're basically priced for their utility, I don't think we'll have these problems that you just mentioned. Um, I believe that, you know, as, as Bitcoin comes in, it allows everybody to save and build wealth and we no need to invest into real estate. And also real estate has become completely unaffordable. I mean, I have a lot of conversations with friends around me and once they saved like a couple of grand, they usually ask me, should I invest in real estate to build wealth? And I always tell them, don't do that. Just buy Bitcoin, basically. It's a much better store of value. Plus, you can actually possess Bitcoin because Bitcoin is about cryptographic control. You are in possession of your Bitcoin. The real estate, for example, is very easy to tax, confiscate, or be destroyed in the event of war. So have a savings vehicle. Real estate is actually very bad. What I'm interested in, in Leon, is um, do you accept... Uh Bitcoin as uh, rental payments from, from your tenants? That, that is an interesting question. And there's a few people that ask me. And long term, that's definitely something that we want to do. But at this point of time, it's not a good use of our time because it is literally about survival. And um, a lot of the people that we work with in the real estate world, they are basically on the brinks of being bankrupt. In the past 12 months, come in Germany, just in Germany alone, Companies with a building pipeline of 50 billion euro went bankrupt because as interest rates have gone up and the cost of construction have gone up with inflation, their profit margin have been squeezed. So they are now in a position where they basically can't finish their, their buildings. So for us, what we are focusing on right now is incorporating Bitcoin into our core strategy putting it on our balance sheet so we can survive. Because I believe we are really sliding into a huge recession in the housing market. And the problem is, if people can't build real estate, there's less available units on the market, which drives the cost of housing even more. So I don't believe that we have should have central authorities that provide housing. I believe it should be the private sector. So for us as a company, we need to survive in order to 
provide housing to the market. And then the next stage indeed would be to allow all of our tenants to, be pay, to pay in Bitcoin and also maybe provide them with some little help to, to orange pill them, you know, what the benefits are. But at this point of time, it's not part of our focus, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm in a, my, my fiat mining job is, um, I'm an estate manager. So I, I work for um, various private estates across uh, London, some quite wealthy mansion blocks. Um, and you can already start to see the evidence of the the housing pressure um, in this environment as as inflation increases and as the economy um, starts to crumble. You know, I'm I'm starting to see that the the people that will probably be classed as upper middle class are starting to feel the pinch a little bit, and various projects that they would have just historically have just thrown money at without thinking about it are really now starting to suffer the consequences of the economy at the moment, and that is there are various projects that need to be priced up and it's impossible for contractors to really come up with a realistic price of what this project might cost because prices are fluctuating out of control. Um, it usually takes them a couple of months to make a decision as to whether or not they want to actually go ahead with this project, by which time that quote is already kind of not really fit for purpose as the prices continue to increase. So yeah. there is a bit of a, a problem at the moment of trying to price things in uh, for projects that are needed to be done to maintain these buildings in these in these areas to a high standard, we're starting to see the effects of uh, things like Brexit as well because the labour isn't available here either. Mm -hmm. So I can really start to see this sort of perfect storm um, come in. And uh, is that something that you can you have experience with Leon? Is that resonating with you? The sort of things I'm saying there. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree. I. It's difficult to make an estimation, but I would say over the past three years, construction costs have gone up year over year between 20 to 40 percent. Uh, in 2022, the cost of wood suddenly went up by like 60 percent. You know, so different types of commodities, different types of resources increase in price at different times, but construction costs have gone through the roof. There's something else, uh, something else, which is uh, ESG requirements. So in Germany you are um, uh, obliged to modernize certain parts of your house going forward. For example, now you need to put solar on your house. You need to change your windows and different things that cost a lot of money. The problem is, though, if you only take the rental income and you build maintenance reserves out of the rental income, if you need to modernize a property in five or ten years, inflation will have drained your cash flow. So the smart thing to do is take the rental income, take 20-30%, put it, funnel it into Bitcoin, leave it there for 5 to 10 years, and then if you need to modernize your property in the future, you, you basically take the Bitcoin, which have increased in purchasing power. So that's a strategy that we have adopted, for example, for property management. I find it fascinating. So what you're proposing is, because a lot of Bitcoiners actually go like, oh, you know, hodl for your lifetime and, you know, you'll be rich one day. And like, uh, I, I love the guys who go like Bitcoin goes to a million one day. And then what well, is that million going to buy you? Like maybe a cough, cup of coffee or some milk. You don't, you never know. Because um, to make it a currency, we yeah. have to spend it or we have to use it for different things. And you actually skip the step where you go like, oh, you know, get familiar with it, hodl it and stuff. But you actually put it on the balance sheet to, you know, really future proof your 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 business, potentially your investment into the next five to 10 years. Was really Sailor instrumental for you to, to, to get there? Or were you always, because you got in early with Bitcoin, were you always interested in 
having to find an asset or a commodity in this case to make that switch because for most people if they look at real estate again it's just like oh you know i have cash in the bank i deposit it i take a mortgage and that's it i'm now a homeowner was that always on the back of your head to actually use bitcoin this way or did like sailor help you no. or maybe anything else to get into maybe also the bitcoin lending part and stuff no i'll be very sailor has been instrumental in my bitcoin journey he's been very inspirational um so when i got into bitcoin i got into bitcoin because it just made sense. I didn't even think about it. I didn't mm. even keep the Bitcoin, mm -hmm. by the way, you know, just also to make a point here. I, I just learned about it. I never kept it. My friends used it as money. They used it to buy things. Yeah. yeah. At that point of time, I didn't even know what a store of value was. You know, I was like very young. I learned about obviously what a liability is, what is an asset. But like my, my journey into monetary history, monetary theory was yep. at the beginning. So I never kept the Bitcoin. And what then really got me excited about Bitcoin is... Um, it's 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 its ability to um, to basically create a bottom up um, change that allows everybody to participate mm. in the global economy. But then in 2020, when Sela started talking about Bitcoin as digital property, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, actually, Bitcoin is digital real estate. Why? Because what is real estate at this point of time? At this point of time, because on the 15th of August, 1971, President Richard Nixon announced there would be no standard anymore. And we lived under, since then, we've been living under fiat standard. Real estate has become an inflation hedge. So people funnel their money into real estate to, to protect it against monetary inflation. It has yep. become the number one store of value in the world. Around 76% of global wealth is stored in real estate. Bitcoin is a pristine, near-perfect store of value. It is cheaper to maintain than real estate. It is difficult to destroy, difficult to tax, easy to move in times of crisis. And it's, you know, it's portable at all times. And real estate is also used as the number one collateral by banks to give credit, right? It's also pristine collateral for lending, and it's much more accessible, which also makes the credit market more accessible which is important because in an inflationary environment, it's important to lend money because saving does not allow you to build capital. So before Bitcoin, we had real estate as the number one store of value, number one piece of collateral. Now we have Bitcoin as a store of value and as collateral. So Bitcoin is going to fulfill the role that real estate fulfilled in the future going forward. So I, I wrote this article, Bitcoin mm -hmm. is digital real estate, and I published it in Bitcoin magazine. And I, and the, I have to credit to Sailor. Sailor definitely, as I was sitting in my room in August of 2020, listening to his podcast where he explained why he's going to incorporate Bitcoin on his balance sheet, definitely influenced me to think about Bitcoin as digital real estate. I may maybe not have thought mm -hmm. the way mm -hmm. that I do now without Sailor. That is uh, that is for sure. Yeah. Do you ever find that? Uh any challenges in moving that bitcoin around um within your company and organization is it like, easy to sell is there is there a way around sort of any sort of legal loopholes and all that sort of stuff do you find any challenges with all that kind of stuff having it on your balance sheets in the company yeah so interestingly enough the bafin which is it's it's not the sec but it's it's a german uh, financial uh, authority or, or whatever they have had a very clear stance towards... It's the regulator in Germany. Yeah, it's the regulator in Germany, exactly. And they have a very clear stance towards Bitcoin since 2016. So the way that Bitcoin is taxed is if you hold it longer than 12 months, you are not taxed when you sell it. 
Okay. And if you build a company, which is which is called in Germany, it's called a KG, it's called a KG. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that company, it works like an individual, okay? So it's taxed like an individual. And usually you hold real estate in such a company because if you hold real estate in such a company, the selling of real estate is tax-free after 10 years. It's recognized as a store of value if you hold it for 10 years. So for us, we've never sold any Bitcoin. We, we are buying Bitcoin and we are holding it. We are going to sell it maybe in five to 10 years if we need to use it for maintenance reserves on our properties. But at this point in time, we have not sold any Bitcoin. We are accumulating Bitcoin. And we also don't have like a buy-sell strategy, anything like that. We, like, we just mm-hmm. buy and we ideally want to hold it forever. But we are aware that in the future that we are going to be forced to, to modernize our property and we are going to use some of that Bitcoin maintenance purposes. So essentially, you clearly use it as digital gold. That's, that's the whole idea behind it. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting because I think what a lot of people are missing in the um, Bitcoin ecosystem is Yes, it's a grassroots movement. You know, we 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 now have these institutional interests, but at one point you do need big money to to grow this thing even further than what it is now. And I'm a strong believer in like venture capital money because you need these amazing projects to be funded. Like just on the lightning side, I spend countless hours a day researching and talking to these people. It's amazing what they do, but unfortunately, they never have they never have any money to like get there, right? So. Um, do you think there needs to be also a mindset sh- shift in the Bitcoin community to actually get a m- bit more familiar with maybe these more, I don't want to say trad five things, but like having venture capital come in, you know, having to deal with stuff with like, hey, maybe I can lend my Bitcoin to uh, accumulate it on a balance sheet, to, you know, get real estate in and to get these, just these different connections in because like the gold box, the real estate guys. They know that inflation is not a good thing. They know that we need a different asset. And maybe you could just find a way to pull everyone together. Yeah. I'll answer your question very shortly. i just make a comment to what you've said. Um, you said you are using Bitcoin as digital gold, which is correct. We are using Bitcoin basically uh, to funnel our productivity in. Because what, I, what Bitcoin is for me, it's a battery that stores productivity. And the productivity that we generate is providing service of housing and people pay us rent and we funnel that productivity into Bitcoin. So Bitcoin stores our productivity. What gold used to do before, you know, it's been hijacked by central banks 100 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to answer your question, it's, um, it's, a, very difficult, it's a very difficult question to answer. I don't have an, have an answer really. Um, I do agree with you that for the lightning world, we need most likely more funding. We need more funding. That's why we as a real estate company, we also actively fund lightning companies, oh. for example. Okay. Um, I, yeah, we do that. So um, at the beginning, I was a lot reluctant to do that, but I, I explained my reasoning. So my reasoning is the following. If I put my money into Bitcoin and I leave it in cold storage, the risk-free return on my Bitcoin by leaving it in cold storage is the deflation. And in the mm-hmm. last 10 years, it was about 190% a year. And to take that money and put it into a startup, is very diffi- it's going to be very difficult to outperform Bitcoin. But mm-hmm. then, you know, mm-hmm. I decided I'm, I'm not going to invest into lightning companies 
to make a higher return than with Bitcoin, I'm going to do it because I want to give back to the ecosystem. I know that the return on these investments might be lower than the deflation in Bitcoin, but I'm going to do it because I know these companies need capital. So I do agree with you that we as Bitcoiners, we need to help. We can also be part of investment syndicates like Lightning Ventures that allow us to participate mm -hmm. in investment rounds starting from like $2,500, basically. Um, so I agree with you. I also believe that um, generally supporting open source uh, development and also supporting different projects on Geyser, like I do that all the time. I basically mm -hmm. try to send out sets. If I, find, if I like a podcast, I send out some sets, value for value, like all these things, they're very, very important. Is that, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, by the way, Leon, there's a... Oh, perfect. You did. And by the way, there's a QR code down um, in the bottom of the screen if you <laughs> wanted to give us a tip as well. I know it's, I know it's your episode, but hey-ho. I actually did. <laughs> we, we, we believe in the whole value. No, I happily will. I happily will. I did already. Thank you so way. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I happily will do again. Perfect. That's that's very, very, very generous of you. And I, I, I'm a firm believer as well, actually, is that we are very much focused within the Bitcoin ecosystem to sort of buy up as much sats as we can. But also, I think we should also, if we really tr truly believe in the future of Bitcoin and the value that it has, we should also support those businesses that are trying to actually um, build within the Bitcoin ecosystem as well. So that that's a really great um, way to sort of... Uh, future-proof the use case for Bitcoin by indirectly investing in Bitcoin through these lightning ventures and things like that. So well done to you, Leon. Moving away a little bit back to your original uh, rabbit hole story, I want to sort of delve down the whole philosophical side of uh, your Bitcoin rabbit hole story. So how does philosophy come into Bitcoin for you? Yeah, I mean, I, my bachelor, there was an, I did two bachelors. I did a bachelor's in philosophy and ethics and I did a bachelor in business management. And I wrote my bachelor thesis about mm -hmm. Nicomachean ethics. It's a book by Aristoteles, and I think Nicomachean was his son. So the book is basically about what is a life worth living. And he described how we go into school, to go into university, to maybe have a family or to have a good job. But what comes at the end? Like, what's the end goal? And at the end of everything, he said there's something which he called eudaimonia. That's like a state of happiness, basically. And whatever we do, if we do something to achieve something and then do something after, it will never make us happy. Whatever we do, we need to make it from like a place of, of happiness, basically. And when I was in university as well, I was very fearful of the future. And once Bitcoin came in, Bitcoin made me optimistic about the future. And I don't do things now because of some reward in the future. I just do them because I like to do them. So the stage of eudaimonia, the stage of happiness, of contentment, really, it's something that Alan Watts also talked about a lot, who was a, who was a British, I think, philosopher as well. He's, I, I love Alan Watts. And that is something that Bitcoin has been, has been instrumental in my life because I basically know the fruits of my labor, the productivity that I generate right now i can save that in bitcoin and bitcoin will be there for me in the future in decades and even in 100 years for generations to come after me and that has allowed me to be more present in this moment so it's interesting that you know aristoteles wrote it like 2000 years ago and we now have the technology that allows humanity to actually you know each of us achieve the individual purpose because as i was stacking sets over time, I 
you know, had more time to do what I wanted because I had more savings. And suddenly also, you know, I sold my ETFs, I put it into Bitcoin, because if you think about it, Bitcoin is an ETF on the world, of, on the global ingenuity. You participate in the productivity of the smartest people in the world, and you don't need to buy an ETF, you know, that's limited to a currency, a country, or a region. And I sold my gold, I put it into Bitcoin, I sold most of my stocks, I kept some minor stocks, but I sold most of my stocks, put it into Bitcoin, and suddenly I had more time. And when I had this time, I had more time to watch podcasts. And then I basically learned about Sailor. I also have to say at the beginning of my Bitcoin career, my Bitcoin journey, I listened to very little Bitcoin content because I had no time. I was working from eight to eight and I was competing back then in, in martial arts and I was training after work and I went to bed and that's just, that's it. I mean, I was stacking sets, but I didn't really deal with Bitcoin. And once I sold my investments, I put it into Bitcoin, I had more time. Then I started learning about Bitcoin and I started writing and now I'm doing podcasts and I'm just, you know, open sourcing my ideas and I get, I get a lot of positive feedback, but I also get negative feedback and the negative feedback has been very instrumental in on my Bitcoin journey as well. So Bitcoin just uh, gave me time and it allowed me to live a more purposeful life, basically. And that's the philosophical aspect of Bitcoin and the ethical aspect as well. If you think about our existing monetary system, it's based on theft because, you know, inflation basically steals from everybody that saves. And it also disincentivizes good behavior because saving is something good. You know, you lower your type preference and you think of the future. So our system is based on greed. It's unethical. And that's why we see so much unmoral behavior in the world, I believe. And Bitcoin has ethical money because it is ethical money, because nobody controls the supply or the issuance. Nobody can inflate it, that it's accessible and permissionless. It's censorship resistant and it can't be taken away by force. So that creates a more ethical reality. That's an interesting take. And I completely and utterly agree with you um, because it's almost like the, <laughs> I'm going to, it's, it's, it's uh, dramatic to say Bitcoin being the meaning of life. But what I mean by that is there's there's existence and there's survival. And pre-Bitcoin, I think uh, for me personally, it's just survival. It's having the day-to-day, -day, trying to find the time available if there is any in this kind of uh, rat race and the sort of hamster's wheel of life. And because you just don't see the wood through the trees, you don't see um, the way out of it, the only way is just to sort of get your head down and just sort of like get through it really. But once for me, when I discovered Bitcoin, yeah, it was interesting. It was a nice thing to maybe put my money in. But when you start to actually invest the time, um, you just find more time to invest in it, to fully understand how um, Bitcoin can affect every aspect of, of life from, uh, from money to environmental issues to everything. Mm. And, um, it, it really does sort of re, um, organize your mindset entirely. And, uh, it's got some deep profound, uh, meaning for me now, because I feel that I can better use my time, not only for myself, but for the people, the generations behind me. I can start um, doing something purposeful in life. Whereas before, I was just trying to make the, you know, meet meet the end of the month, pay the bills, um, get day through day to day without really any sort of direction in life. So it's quite an interesting um, 
way to sort of like view Bitcoin, I think. And it's nice to hear somebody else share that experience um, as well. And all the rabbit hole stories that we've been listening to, all the different perspectives of people, how people's lives have changed once they discovered Bitcoin. It's forever fascinating. But when you were talking there, you mentioned ETFs. Do you think the whole sort of Bitcoin ETF um, thing is, is a good thing for Bitcoin ultimately? Or are there some risks there, do you think, uh, long term? Yeah. I uh, answer your question. I want to comment on something you said because I like what you just said. B Bitcoin took me out of survival mode. I think you put, you put it perfectly because, you know, that's what Bitcoin does. It takes you out of survival mode and it has the potential to align the individual with their individual purpose. So that's, some, that's something beautiful. And um, to answer your question, I was sitting two days ago with a friend of mine. I'm, I'm writing a newsletter called the Bitcoin newsletter for anyone that's interested. And he, it's a friend of mine that helps me with organizing the newsletter. And uh, he said something that I totally agree with. He said, you know, these big players, they will come in, like BlackRock and so forth, and they are used to the fiat world. So what they will try to do, they will try possibly to manipulate the price, to create paper Bitcoin like they do with gold and things like that. But over time, there will be a memory, just like, you know, Roger Ver, the Bitcoin Cash guys and everybody like the altcoiners and whatever, because Bitcoin is bigger than any of these companies. That these companies are coming in now, it's logical. And Joel, you also mentioned that for Bitcoin to continue its price increase, we need bigger, more money to come in, basically. So we need nation states, we need uh, TradFi and all these companies to come in. And they basically understand, they either understand that Bitcoin is a better ETF than any ETF because you participate in anybody in the world using Bitcoin to store productivity, or they just understand it's a better store of value than an ETF or gold, real estate and bonds. And they want to position mm. themselves to create a product because in the next bull market, you know, people will just need to put, take their phone and say, hey, buy the Bitcoin ETF. I know a lot of people in venture capital in real estate and family offices that would love to hold Bitcoin, but they're so busy, they don't have time to deal with the self-custody. And even though I personally believe self-custody is important, I'm just saying that these people now have something that is registered as a security that they can hold safely on their balance sheet and they don't have to think about it twice. So the inflow of capital through these developments will be multiple times higher than it used to be in the blast bull market but again, these companies will be humbled. Bitcoin humbles everyone. I don't believe that we will go into some sort of extended cycle because they will over leverage. They will, once we mm. hit you know, like 80, 90, 100K, they will start lending against their Bitcoin. And once Bitcoin drops in price, they will be margin called. So I believe we again will have a cycle of a bull run and a bear run. Uh, a bull run and a bear run. And the bear market is going to humble all these large institutions as well. Dude, I have a client who's a venture capital fund and, you know, typical tech bro thing like, um, oh, AI is hot now. Let's invest into AI. Um, a year ago, it was Web3 and like NFTs and shit. But, you know, they yeah. somehow make it work. And I think that's just inevitable also with these Bitcoin ETFs, which is why I am like, I'm not a BlackRock shill, but is it positive that all of these ETF investors possibly see like oh there's this bitcoin etf thing let's take a look at it and suddenly they realize oh instead of owning a share in an etf i can actually own the asset outright especially if you're a private person right 
And if you're a financial institution, you can actually build products around it and really start utilizing this tool as an actual currency tool, uh, investment vehicle, whatever perspective you want to take at it and, and start building around this. And I think this is what a lot of um, potentially Bitcoin Twitter people miss because like they spend too much time on there and they don't actually get out and you know talk to these institutions because um uh, yeah it will definitely break free the market like we'll have people margin called and all of that stuff and it will never be the last time it always happen because it has always happened right but if you take comparisons yeah. from like the gold market or even other commodities it definitely is that encaption point where you know stuff just takes off and more and more people get on and like this is the goal right we want more people in bitcoin yeah yeah no um um of course yeah definitely definitely and i also it's these people will not change bitcoin bitcoin is going to change them that's how i see it basically they either be, yeah. they either accept you know to like be humbled or they'd be washed out yeah, it's all part of playing by the consensus rules, right? Um, it's inescapable. Um, you might be able to try and sort of uh, play your silly games or, or your strategies, but ultimately, TikTok, next block, Bitcoin doesn't care, and it will humble you one day. No, for sure. Leon, I also want to ask you something, because as a fellow European, and I know Ian is going to give me the eye roll now, because like, the UK has left Brexit and all of that stuff, but they're still in fucking Europe. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I look at the way Bitcoin is portrayed as, you know, very American, you know, First Amendment rights, like free speech and all of that stuff. Do you think there's also a shift in the Bitcoin community that we actually realize like, hey, there's a Bitcoin community in Europe, Germany, especially like I think you guys have the most clear net nodes in the world. Um, mm -hmm. Or do you think that that will take more time for people to really accept it as a global thing? Because if I go to like, you know, we've been in Riga, we've met there briefly. Bitcoin is not Americaized or it, it doesn't really have an agenda the way it's sometimes being displayed. Or am I completely mm -hmm. missing the boat there and just thinking too far advanced? What, what is your perspective on the whole narratives in the Bitcoin space? Uh, first of all, I understand uh, what you mean and where you're coming from. Um, on some things, I don't have an opinion because it's like, whatever i mean tiktok next block like uh, ian like you said you know some things i don't i don't spend that much time on twitter i came on twitter a few years ago just, like basically two years ago just to publish my article for i wasn't on twitter before um because it just caused me to lose focus um but i do see why a lot of americans you know like bitcoin because bitcoin represents american ideals it's potentially an American technology. I mean, the cypherpunks were started in San Francisco. Um, that is the community that um, Bitcoin grew out of. Um, uh, philosophers and cuper scientists that built technology to preserve uh, freedom in the uh, digital age, so to say. So I can see there's some American ideals or things that are part of the American constitution, individual freedom and so forth, that are part of Bitcoin. So a lot of the Americans see Bitcoin as a technology that is American and that protects American ideals. And that is truly not wrong, but Bitcoin is a global phenomenon. And then within Bitcoin, there are no nation states. Um, everybody is the same. Um, we don't make any difference between any individual. Everybody is the same. Everybody can access Bitcoin. It's permissionless, it's accessible to everybody. So Bitcoin is a global phenomenon and different groups can you know, see whatever they want to see in Bitcoin. And that is totally fine. But Bitcoin is definitely a global phenomenon. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, you know, everyone, I'm, I'm starting to see a growing uh, voice within Europe. There are more and more um, voices that are more prominent in the space than there were even a year ago. And I, I do start to, I'm, I am starting to see a little bit of not a narrative shift, but a tone shift. So less Americanized sort of language, but more kind of uh, a unified Bitcoin uh, communication between uh, different regions of the world, which is fascinating to, to witness firsthand. And you're starting to hear a lot of uh, communications coming from uh, Africa uh, as well. And it's nice to sort of get a full understanding of the way people view Bitcoin through their own sort of lens from where they, they've come from as a region. Um, so I think the American voice, albeit it was uh, the most prominent and probably still is the most prominent voice within the Bitcoin ecosystem. I think things are changing. Yeah. Um, before I move on to, before we move on to the last question, Leon, uh, one last thing I want to ask you is um, what is it like uh, being in a relationship with a fellow Bitcoiner and um, how has that affected or changed your relationship, if at all? Okay. Um, I, I, I don't feel so comfortable talking about talking about that because it's quite private. So I, I won't go too much into detail, but I still like your question because it is something I'm thinking about a lot. I personally believe, generally speaking, um, Bitcoin changes like human uh, relationships because when I meet somebody that is into Bitcoin, we do find like a common ground. Like there, I don't, we don't have to agree on everything. And I also like that I disagree with a lot of things other people, Bitcoiners think, but we agree on Bitcoin and we're just like cool to disagree because I'm missing that culture in, in the mainstream media where, you know, everybody is like pinpointed in a certain direction if they have like an opinion about this and an opinion about that. But I also think that because Bitcoin has become such a big part of my life, the people around me have to understand Bitcoin because it is such an important mission that we Bitcoiners are on. I really believe that we Bitcoiners have been entrusted by the cosmos to bring a new financial system into this world that is open and accessible to everybody, that allows everybody to save, to build wealth. Use Bitcoin as collateral potentially to invest, to build a business, to become productive and level the global playing field. So to have people in my life that understand me and that support me is uh, very important for me. And it has uh, been actually amazing. I've been so annoying, <laughs> I think, for the people in my, uh, in my life <laughs> over the past uh, couple of years. And I've, I've toned down my, uh, my missionary uh, Bitcoin persona a little bit because I also <laughs> understand everybody's on their journey, you know. Some people it's going to take two years, ten years, like whatever. I don't want to stress them. Like you need to buy Bitcoin now, and if you don't buy Bitcoin, you know, you'll you basically be faced with the cash flow of your business being drained because of monetary inflation. So yeah, it's been it's been nice how the people in my environment have supported me, and it's been uh, it's been a it's been a beautiful journey so far with ups and downs. But I've found people that. Uh, love and support me and yeah that's good that's um brilliant and thank you for sharing your, your the personal um thought process there um for me my, my wife <laughs> i don't know she's very resistant in calling herself a bitcoiner um she understands bitcoin she she gets it and she believes in it and we constantly talk about it because 
Bitcoin's now become my life, right? So yeah. she she's very much been open to learning about Bitcoin and understanding it at a deep philosophical level because I, I do like to go sort of deep and philosophical. And it really has sort of uh, improved our relationship because um, of the sort of ethical, um, almost sort of... Um, positive direction that we're trying to sort of evolve into uh, you know it's improves our relationship because it's it's kind of made me a bit more focused a bit more present in what's not only going on in the world but also the value um that family has for me um so that's you know the motivation behind my question oh yeah that's true actually that that's something that happened to me also. yeah and that's 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 beautiful to hear um now before we um finish up joelle you've got you've got a challenge for leon right yes so we usually end every episode now on a little bit of a challenge for our guests and um, you may have heard of the saying all roads lead back to bitcoin and we actually mm -hmm. want to prove this so we usually ask our guests to come up with a idea an explanation or just a pathway from a word we're telling them into you know how does Bitcoin fix this or how does it lead to Bitcoin? And with you today, we thought of the word plant. How does plant or plants relate back to Bitcoin? Oh, I think a lot, actually. If, if, you, look, if you look at the structure of plants and mushrooms in particular, the way that they grow is very similar to the lightning network. You can, you can also see if you look at a tree, any plant, if you look at a river, it usually has like a base and then it grows out like, like that, you know, and into different strains. It's very similar how Bitcoin and the Lightning Network operates. And I think Gigi has talked about this. And, um, and, I, and, and, and so, so Bitcoin resembles like the natural structure of plants. It's really interesting. Like when you look at it, you can Google it. I think Gigi put a picture together, like a, the structure of like a plant, a river and bit, the Lightning Network. And it like it almost looks the same. It's really cool. That's a perfect answer. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm forever fascinated about the uh, um, mycelium network uh, with mushrooms and, and, and how it interconnects um, different species of different plants and, and different trees and, and how it sort of like is the, the foundation of communication between uh, what's needed within that ecosystem and how it can replicate the philosophical ideal ideals and uh, principles of Bitcoin. So yeah, perfect answer and perfect ending to our episode. Leon, it's been fascinating. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, thank you for sharing your journey into Bitcoin with us. You're a guest of, the, you're a friend of the show, so you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, I hope to maybe see you over in Amsterdam. Yeah, no, I hope so too. Thank you for the invite, guys. I enjoyed the conversation as well. It's been very interesting. Thank you.